we proceed further with this important question relating to God and man. What do we know about the nature of moral character from Bible considerations? We have seen that the equipment of moral action involves personality, or the ability to think, to feel, and to act. God abundantly manifests these qualities. We have also seen that moral light or understanding right and proper conduct in all situations is a necessity for moral action in God and that God can gain no knowledge and wisdom here. As we proceeded to consider with greater definiteness the nature of moral action, we saw that moral action and moral character resided entirely in the purpose of the will and not in some deposit back of the will. Further, that by the very nature of the will, its actions are positive and definite, and cannot partly choose and partly not choose at a single time. Opposite choices can succeed each other, but cannot coexist. In other words, a mixed character is impossible. We now go on to say, in the third place, that all actions of will may be classified in a threefold way, all of which are interrelated and progressive. First, there are ultimate or supreme choices to be made, which involve the overall destination of life. We shall have much to say about God's abiding supreme choice of benevolence or love as the motivating force of all the actions of the Godhead. Also further on, about man having only a twofold ultimate choice to make, either to conform to the same end of life which God lives for, or to devote himself supremely to his own happiness, which is the very essence of sin. Then, having made an ultimate choice, we must make an endless chain of subordinate choices, or we must choose means that will tend to accomplish the end chosen as they present themselves. For example, if we make a choice to get to a certain city as soon as possible, we must choose every means available to get us there. If I purposely refuse to get on a bus passing by, which I understand is going to the proposed destination, and have no other means planned, I can only do this by changing my ultimate purpose to go there. Just so, if we repent of sin, denounce self-interest as the supreme end in life, and choose to align ourselves with God and live for the same end that He does, we must choose those means which appear to us to further the glory of God and the good of our fellow men. If we refuse the means, we must have previously changed our minds on the end or goal in life. There are, then, endless means to be chosen to further a given end. God likewise must make endless decisions in His dispensations over the affairs of men to further the great abiding choice of the highest well-being of all. God sends judgments and blessing, thinks thoughts toward man, and modifies His plans as man responds one way or another. For example, the call of Abraham involved a great purpose of God to choose means of blessing. Because of God's ultimate abiding choice of love, he made choice to bless man, a means of furthering the blessing proposed to all. To bless man, 
he made choice of another means to call forth a nation that should be his instrument of blessing. Likewise, as a further means of blessing to man, the atonement of Christ was planned and brought to pass. Because God is love, he chose to bless man. To do this, man had to be forgiven and restored. But to do this righteously, the Lord Jesus had to give his life. Here then we have one ultimate choice, the purpose and love of God, and three dependent choices of means in line with the abiding choice. Further in the direction of subordination, we have executive choices or volitions to carry forth the means chosen to attain a particular end. For example, I may choose to leave my desk and go out into the sunshine. I perceive there is a door to my room and thus must choose the door as a means of exit. Having chosen to go out and having chosen to use the door, I must now put forth executive volition or activity to do what I have planned to do. Executive acts must depend, therefore, upon previous choices made and are merely the carrying forth of our plans. In our fourth and last subhead, under the nature of moral action and moral character, we are now prepared to ask, what actions are we to look to to determine moral character? Is a certain moral being virtuous or selfish in a given instant? Alas, much confusion of thought has existed here, and much complexity of analysis. Many outwardly moral people have been accounted Christians without an analysis of the background and motives. Many preachers of the gospel have been truly converted many years after they began preaching because of this confusion of thought. All can know for what end of life they live for, even as the Apostle Paul admonished, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. When the scripture affirms God to be perfectly holy, we may ask, upon what basis are we to evaluate God's character? Starting from the end of our chain of thought and working backward, we may say that firstly, moral character cannot be properly evaluated by looking only at the executive volitions put forth to bring certain events to pass. Such are mere energies invested to bring about certain purposes. Apart from the purposes, they would not occur, and thus we must pass further back on the chain. In the second place, moral character cannot be determined by looking merely at the means chosen. Means were chosen for some reason, and thus are not complete in themselves, and cannot be set apart for analysis. In our former illustration, as we board the bus as a means to arrive at a distant city, our moral character in taking the trip can only be known when the purpose for going is told forth. But mere means cannot solve the problem. Thirdly, thus as we have pressed on our way back to the real basis for estimating moral character, we arrive at the true why of what we are doing is only to be found in the ultimate intention of life that prevailed when a given series of events was brought to pass. The chain of reaction can be traced no further, and therefore the true test, the true barometer, so to speak, has been reached. 
One purpose is to board the bus, for example, to go to a distant city to preach the gospel so that he may receive remuneration, praise, or some other selfish gratification. Another board may board the same bus to go to the same distant city to preach the gospel, to glorify God in the salvation of sinners. On the basis of ultimate intention, one is a sinner in his venture and the other virtuous. They do many similar things as means to opposite ends, but the ends must be determined before proper evaluation can be made. Thus the scripture makes the purpose of heart the whole of moral character. To cite a few instances, in the Old Testament economy, as recorded in Exodus chapter 35, we have the basis of Old Testament giving was to be a willing heart or an inner purpose to please God. Our Lord Jesus astonished his future leaders with this strange arithmetic, as recorded in the 12th chapter of Mark, verses 41 to 44. One day, as Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much, and there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow had cast in more than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. They were used to counting quantities, whereas Jesus said that it was the motive behind the gift that counted. In the 14th chapter of Mark, verses 8 and 9, we read of a humble and appreciative disciple who broke her expensive ointment and poured it forth upon the head of Jesus in preparation for his death. As we read there, She hath done what she could, Jesus said. She has come beforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she had done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And so as the disciples were quibbling among themselves as to whether this was a wise use of means or not, considering the needs of the poor, Jesus peered through all this to view the motive of her heart. And this shone forth so nobly that it should be remembered as a memorial throughout the world. It was the motive that counted. Again, the Apostle Paul set forth this principle in the realm of God that God's method of rating considers the quality of purpose and not the quantity of manifestation. This is what counted in God's sight. As we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12, the following, For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. Again, in chapter 9, verse 7, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So if there was an unmixed purpose of heart to glorify God, it is a fragrant thing before the courts of heaven. But if gifts are made for any selfish reason, 
no matter what these may amount to, God's reaction is entirely different. This is because God evaluates things according to the ultimate purpose of heart. We being moral beings, God applies the same principles to his own great being. We shall abundantly see that the most important declaration in the Bible is a statement projecting forth from his pages, God is love. Because of this, means are chosen and volitions exercised, all from the same glorious essence of love, which is the whole of moral character, which resides solely in the ultimate intention. And so we arrive at a profound simplicity of moral nature, that God looks upon the intentions of the heart, and that out of this intention we choose means in accordance therewith, and execute these means by our volitions. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, how we thank Thee for the Scripture revelation of the simplicity of truth, that Thou art the great God of love that prevails through the universe, and that whatever Thou dost do, Thou dost do out of this great and glorious benevolent ultimate intention which resides in Thy being. And so the Lord Jesus Christ has come forth as the world's Savior, that men may repent of sin and find forgiveness, pardon, restoration, the fullness of thy spirit, and the abundance of joy in the inner soul. O oh, may many gladden thy heart this day by their repentance and find peace to their own beings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.